Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. If you think you know all the sounds a double bass can make, you haven't heard Sigurd Herle's music. His remarkable meditative works have made him one of Norway's most sought-after musicians. Next Monday, February 3rd at 8 p.m., he'll be making his Carnegie Hall debut, performing music from his new solo double bass album called Lis Merke, Light Darkness, at Weil Recital Hall. It's the follow-up to Elvisang, his critically acclaimed work from 2018. Sigurd Herder joins us now to discuss and perform some of that new work, which has been called philosophical music, and we'll delve into why it may just teach us to become better listeners to the sounds of nature. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I hope that you will forgive me when I try to pronounce Norwegian words. I think you're doing <laughs> fine. Was I almost okay? <laughs> you're doing fine so far, yeah, sure. Uh, what does uh, the title of the, your new album, Lise America, mean in musical terms? Mm. <clears throat> uh, light darkness. Things, light darkness. Well, um, what um, are you trying to tell us with that? Um, strictly musically speaking, on the bass, well, I use, <clears throat> I try to at least use the whole instrument, you know, from um, from the very dark and more fam- uh, familiar bass sounds to the really bright uh, notes. So mm. it reflects that to a certain extent. Yeah. Did, didn't you record it at the Arctic Hideaway, a, a cluster of buildings on uh, Flein? Uh, uh, forgive my. Flyinvær, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, th- that's a sparsely inhabited island off the coast of northern Norway. Yeah. Is it a popular destination for, mm, for Norwegians? No, I would not say. <laughs> it's not so much visited. Because it's so desolate? It's really desolate, but it's been um, some years ago. A good friend of mine, a Norwegian uh, musician and composer, he built an amazing sort of um, retreat mm-hmm. on that island. Um, called uh, Yeah, that's called the Arctic Hideaway. So... I went up there in 2017 to just spend one week and, um, yeah, um, work on new compositions, really. And and it inspired you, I assume. Yeah. Had you composed really most of the pieces before you went there, or was the entire creative process uh, improvised on site or composed on site? <clears throat> um, well, there's a close connection between my stay there in 2017 mm-hmm. and the recording that happened last year. So... Um, um, in 2017, I guess, um, I worked on many different ideas, just had a really open creative process while I was there. Uh, being so desolate, it's a really quiet place, so it's a good place to immerse yourself mm. in, um, in making new, new things. Did you record most of it outdoors? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. So th- that was an important part, because uh, uh, you seem to prefer recording on site, your previous solo album was also performed not in a recording studio. You don't like recording studios? Um, yeah, I do for many things. But for this music, I really like on-site recordings and also for other stuff. It depends a bit on the music, I guess. But um, yeah, um, on this new recording, um, I work a lot with... Um, Overtones, as like uh, the tones, uh, the music of nature, basically, you know, the way the string vibrates when you divide it into uh, different parts. Mm. So including nature sounds in that feels quite the natural. and birds and yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Makes a good match, I think. Mm. Um, uh, how, how do they affect your compositions, the, the sounds of nature? Mm. <coughs> 
think it's sorry both. Sorry for asking. Yeah, yeah, questions. sure. I know it's it's both the sounds, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But also want to mention the um, the visual aspect of it all. Mm. Which you took photographs. Yeah, I took lots of photographs. Up there, there's a big booklet in the album with uh, some photos of the place. And actually, while I was there in 2017, what I I basically went with no plan at all, just to spend um, one week um, to see what happened. Um, so what I did was I spent lots of time outside, just walking around the island and taking photos and videos of different things outside. Um, and then I brought these videos and played them back on my computer. And while watching them, I made a solo improvisation and I recorded the whole thing. So that's how the ideas came about, really much inspired by the visual. So much aspect. of it, so all of it is improvised on some level? Yes, I would definitely say so. There are some, uh, like, um, <coughs> there are also some smaller parts that are composed. Um, but I treat them very open, and um, it always sounds a bit different. So. Well, you performed with jazz groups. Is yeah. uh, the the way you improvise here an extension of that? Yeah, I would say <coughs> it goes... Um, I'd say it goes, goes both ways. Um, uh, so the, the idea behind starting the solo project was <coughs> to delve more into things I was already doing with different groups, like um, Norwegian Piano Trio called Epple Trio, which mm has -hmm. been one of my main projects for many years, and also my work with Norwegian folk music artists like uh, Carl Seglem, and, and also in uh, Torid Gustavsen's trio which I've been a part of for the last 45 years. And you've also 45 performed four, two, with five classical years. groups. <laughs> hmm? And you've also performed with classical groups, so a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything, yeah, I have a wide, wide background. But um, So in all of this work, I'm always focused on exploring what I could do with the bass to create my own voice, both as accompanying others and as a soloist. So I sort of brought that into the solo project and went from there. So how would you compare the experience at the Arctic Hideaway with uh, that uh, uh, the recording of your first solo album, Elvisang, mm -hmm. uh, that was done in a wooden church that mm -hmm. had been built in 1751? Yeah. Yeah, that was um, the church where I grew up in Rendalen in Norway. Very lovely. You like the acoustics there? Yeah, acoustics are lovely. It's a really nice room. I like these old wooden buildings. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, yeah, it was a really personal experience, of course, to record in that church where I've been so many times and where my grandparents are buried outside. And so um, I really enjoyed working there. And and what actually happened on that recording was, you know the an old building, it's not soundproof, it's not isolated uh, isolated like a recording studio. So there was some leakage from uh, outside sounds into the album, <laughs> from beautiful rain and birds, and actually some quite heavy thunder that m is on the recording. So. And what does the name Elvisong mean? Um, it means literally uh, river song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, can you play something for us now? Yeah, sure I can. Okay, what were you thinking of playing? Um, I was thinking of playing um, something similar to a piece on the album called uh, Horizont, mm -hmm. which means uh, horizon. Okay.
My guest is uh, Sigurd Hörle, uh, and he has brought along his his bass, and uh, he is now going. Please forgive me if I don't try to pronounce that, the name of this piece, but he is <laughs> going to perform it for us. And by the way, this is Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. Sigurd Hörle 
performing one of the compositions uh, that you can find on his new CD called Lee's America. Also, I'm assuming uh, something you'll be performing at, uh, at uh, Carnegie Hall next week? Yeah. Mm. Now, uh, you get sounds there <laughs> I normally uh, don't associate with the, uh, the double bass. Mm. Uh, does it grow to some degree out of the fact that you started off on violin? Yeah, I would say it would be related um, definitely to my musical background being, <coughs> yeah, performing the violin for five, six years when I was a child and playing a lot of um, both classical music and also Norwegian folk music. Hmm. Well, you did a little plucking there, but uh, most mm. we usually associate at least uh, with jazz. Yeah. The, the double bass is played pizzicato, where yeah, it's mostly it plucked and... Mm. Uh, you're doing mostly Boeing. Mm. Now, is it fair to say that concerns about climate change is one of the inspirations for your music? Uh, yeah, I would say so, to, to a certain extent at least. It's, um, um, it's there, definitely, yeah. Are there some things that you've seen firsthand in Norway that might be caused by climate change? Mm. Yeah, I would say we get uh, also an increasing tendency of more extreme weather patterns, um, both more storms and <coughs> a lot more uh, rain. This was some just read now in the news. Um, January has been the wettest ever recorded, I think, in Norway now. The wettest. The wettest, yeah. At least in the northern part of Norway, it's been raining like never before. Um, so. What about uh, like? We've just gone through one of the warmest Januaries in in this area. Yeah. Uh, is it? But is there something special in Scandinavia? After all, Greta Thunberg has become internationally famous. She's from <laughs> from Sweden. Yeah, she is. Your neighbor. That's our neighbor. Yeah, she's doing amazing things. So yeah, she's uh, inspiring so many people, myself included, to sort of um, make. Action on climate change, uh, part of my life, and to um, do as best as I can in my own situation to, yeah. That's help. despite the fact that uh, countries like Norway have done a lot to cut down on carbon emissions and the other things that uh, we associate with, with climate change. Mm. True, but I think. Well, you have a lot of rivers, and so you have a lot of hydroelectric power. Yeah, we do. That's a really good thing, for sure. Um, we're also um, a huge oil nation, you know, so we're also doing our part to keeping the emissions up, I guess. <laughs> so um, we should definitely be doing more in in cutting back on that. Um, yeah. Will you be playing the music from the album uh, at your Wild Recital Hall concert at Carnegie Hall next Monday? Yeah, there will be quite a bit from the album, but... Um, <coughs> Uh, of course, it will be a bit different because it's mostly improvised stuff, but uh, there's some yeah, definitely recognizable music from the album, for sure. Well, you won't have the natural sounds that come from recording in a remote, solitary environment. How do you uh, recreate those in a large concert hall? Hmm. Well... You're not bringing a tape recorder with you, are you? No, I'm not. I actually thought about the idea. I have some recordings of just the sound of the island, but... Um, 
I will not be doing that. It's a project that needs more uh, more work before doing. But um, well, what I hope to achieve in in my concert is maybe um, <coughs> maybe to express some of the feelings that I that I had while making the music in in that very special environment and in in meeting nature in my work as an artist and also in listening to nature which affected the music that I made there and those experiences are still of course with me and hopefully some of that might come through the music even though the sounds themselves are not there at that time. Um, you're you're going to be joined by David Rothenberg. Uh, now we have to be clear, WBAI has a somebody who's been with the station for a very long time named David Rothenberg. Yeah. This is a different David Rothenberg. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a professor of philosophy <coughs> and music hmm. at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Yeah. Uh, philosophy and music, that sounds hmm. like a kindred spirit. Yeah, for sure. I'm really glad David uh, agreed to, to join me for this, uh, this concert. Um, <coughs> I got the idea to ask him because he was actually uh, visiting Flyenwerd where I recorded the album uh, last year, um, doing something um, for the Nordic Music Days. So he was there with a group of other composers and artists and doing a project called The Sad Truth, actually. If I yeah, remember correctly, I think that's what it's called. So yeah. Well, he also he plays the clarinet. Will he be performing or will he be talking? He will be doing... A little performance and talking, so he'll, he'll do both. And uh, maybe we will also do something together. He's um, he's an amazing musician and he has been working in the field of um, natural recordings for many years. He's done lots of exciting projects, um, making music with whales, yeah. with humpback whales. Um, and uh, his most uh, recent work uh, is called The Nightingales in Berlin. There is some live recordings outside with the nightingales in Berlin, the musically communicating with them, which I find really interesting. Really moving project to me. And uh, your work has been called philosophical music. Mm. Do you think of yourself in those terms? Mm. I guess I spend lots of time thinking about different things <laughs> in that way I might be called philosophical. Um, but yeah, also... Um, in the music I make, that, um, yeah, that I focus, I'm really concerned about the about our predicament with the with the loss of um, biological life all around the world. You know that nature is yeah. degrading because of because of us. Really, it's we're, uh, we're creating mass extinctions around the world. We are, which is uh, it's quite heavy to you know uh, sort of take in and. If you really think deeply about that, it, to me, it can be really um, depressive and heavy, heavy material to try and digest, and also to know what you should do about it on an individual level to to make things better. Um, so, but to me, at least, to be able to spend time in nature uh, is a really good thing, uh, both. Both as a means of therapy, it makes me, you know, f connect with nature, helps me feel better, and 
also inspires me to try and do, yeah, like I said, do what I can to make things better. Well, meditation has been called therapy, a form of therapy. Yeah, sure. And I read an article that said you started listening to the bamboo flute yeah. for the shakuhachi hmm. uh, and its use in Zen Buddhist meditations when you travel to Japan. Yeah. So sure. that got you thinking about music and meditation? Yeah, sure did. <clears throat> I went to some tours in Japan some years back and visited lots of Buddhist uh, temples and I was really um, got really caught by the by the mood there or the silence and the sort of spiritual presence in a way which was um, <coughs> totally unfamiliar to me coming from Norway to that Japan is a really different culture and and also at one point uh, met with the Japanese shakuhachi musician to perform we just played a little bit but I really really like the sound of that flute um, <coughs> so I've been working a lot of a lot with um, trying to perform on the bass, some, not to make it sound totally similar, but at least to... Well, you uh, can't make a bass sound like a flute. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can try, but you can't. <laughs> but uh, at least capture some of the spirit of that sound and also the, um, the whole time perspective of, the, of that music, you know, the, the phrasing and the long developments is something that's compelling to me and, yeah, to the music I make. And also, uh, Japanese music does seem to have a connection to nature. It's for sure. It Perhaps does. more than, I mean, as much as I love Mozart and Bach, <sighs> I don't, well, some Western composers have composed things that were influenced by bird sounds and things yeah. like that, but uh, you don't hear that much nature. You're more likely to hear something about war or yeah, things of true. that sort. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's... Uh, definitely a um, close connection between nature and, um, and Zen Buddhism so and mm. is that that was part of you making that connection I assume yeah because mm. you've done a lot of recording before have mm. have you changed in recent years <coughs> you made you've been on 40 yeah 40 recordings yeah that's true that's quite a lot um, I guess you can say I changed uh, in the sense that I'm more focused on, uh, more and more focused on uh, doing my own music uh, this uh, recent years. But I think, <coughs> you know, the relationship with my instrument and really working hard to finding my own way of, yeah, of expressing myself. It's al it's always been there. This desire to to look into other things. Also, Middle Eastern music. Yeah, true. Uh, can you talk about a trip that you took to Bethlehem and the influence that experience had on your music? <coughs> I sure can. Um, it was back in 2012-13. Um, my wife was living there for one year, teaching violin in, in Bethlehem, and I went to visit her three, three times, two times. At least I had uh, one quite long stay that year. <coughs> where I also did some workshops at the, at the local schools where she was teaching and worked with, um, with the kids playing different kinds of uh, traditional Arabic instruments. And also... Like the Oud? And like the Oud and the um, Santur and 
also percussion instruments, really beautiful sounds. So what I did actually was I brought some Norwegian folk music and taught to them and we played it together like uh, and used their instruments and their sort of approach to music and making it happen, which was really interesting. And yeah, so that uh, influenced me to to write music somewhat similar to that, uh, to the Rebek music, which I, which I perform in my trio. Um, well, what is Norwegian folk music like? Is um, <coughs> sure not similar that. to American folk music. No, that would be quite different in many ways. I'm sure there are also similarities. It's um, That's what I find really fascinating about folk music from around the world, that all of a sudden you can hear this similar things showing up, you know, f- from India or uh, Norway or Middle East. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, the Norwegian folk music, it's, uh, it's a very strong um, vocal tradition um, and a very strong fiddle tradition, like both the normal fiddle and also the hardanger fiddle, which has got these resonating strings under the normal violin strings. Um, so it's um, it's mainly a solo tradition, at least, yeah, traditionally, solo instruments. Performing. It is interesting that we associate the violin with classical music, and yet so much folk music is done on on the violin, which we wind up calling the fiddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's really a folk instrument as well. There's a, a quote from Rumi, the, the Sufi mystic and poet, mm. on the cover of your album, from 2018, yeah. uh, Song. Yeah. What's the quote, and why did you decide to put it on the cover? <coughs> um, I just have to remember the quote correctly, if I should cite it. Uh, I so wish I had it in front of me. The quote would be, uh, All day and night, music, a quiet, bright reed song. If it fades, we fade. Hmm. That's the quote. I think it's a really, really beautiful verse. Um, but he was a great poet. Yeah, he was. It's amazing. He could capture so many things in so few words. Yeah. Are you ready to play something else for us? Yeah, I could do that. What, what would it be? Uh, something along the lines of what we've been discussing? Yeah, let's see. I did have a plan, but I'll just have to. Uh, no. It's um, Go with I'll the just flow. I'll just think about if I should follow it or not. <laughs> um, <coughs> yeah, I would like to perform. Uh, yes, it will be in the flow of what we're talking about. A Norwegian traditional song called "Egvait i Himmelrik i Borg," which means uh, "I know of a castle in heaven." I know of a what in heaven? A castle. Huh. Castle. Yeah. It's a song that's been with me for a long time, performed in different settings. So you didn't compose it. This one I didn't no, compose. This is a traditional folk song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, while Sigurd goes to the bass, let me remind you that my guest is Sigurd Hole, who is uh, going to be performing at the uh, at Carnegie Hall, make his debut there, uh, doing a solo bass performance this coming Monday. Uh, his new uh, CD is called Lise America, Light Darkness. And uh, 
You're listening to Let It Loop It At Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM.
Sigurd Hörle performing a song inspired, I guess, by a Norwegian folk tune. Um, a critic from New York uh, Music Daily wrote that you get, I'm quoting, more sound, he says, get more sound out of his instrument than virtually any other bassist alive, and that you coax schizophrenic voices from a single string, split notes that simultaneously speak in open tones. Wow. That's a compliment. That's for sure. Wow, amazing. <laughs> but uh, that did surprise me for a number of reasons. We've been talking about how you um, mostly do bowing on mm. the, uh, the instrument, and that was totally pizzicato. Yeah. And I was thinking, <clears throat> well, the string bass is still uh, in the family of the guitar. Yeah, that's true. It is. So to some degree, you <clears throat> were doing what, on, on this instrument that allows you uh, much more range, hmm. what you might have played on a guitar. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what I like about, um, about the double bass, really, that it's got both this um, yeah amazing plucked sound quality, so many nice things you can do plucking, and then if you pick up the bow, you have completely different world with uh, equal uh, and maybe even more possibilities to make different sounds so it's um, yeah I've been spending a lot of time to sort of yeah explore how I can orchestrate instrument to create different moods and different kinds of music in jazz the bass is generally j a part of the rhythm section yeah but um, I, I don't know how that would work here I, there was an article in the New York Times that said mm -hmm. Your quote big and understated sound can subtly deepen any group that you join. So oh. other musicians like the idea that you're not just going boom 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Of course, I also love to play boom boom every mm. once in a while. <laughs> I must say, it's uh, play the chord changes. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's lots of nice things to that as well. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think. I get the feeling that the people I play, of course, I don't only play solo, I play in different bands, um, that they appreciate that I have um, also this other kind of approach to the instrument. Um, it's different from the rhythm section things. Yeah. Do you think it's because of your musical upbringing? You grew up in a small town in Norway? Where? I did. Small town in, <coughs> it would be in um, sort of the deep forest in the middle of... Uh, <laughs> Norway or nowhere, if you like, <laughs> but uh, it's it's called Rendalen. It's a really beautiful, um, beautiful countryside place where I grew up on this farm. Yeah. And how did you hear music other than folk music? Or mm. is did did you start with folk music when you were studying playing on the violin? Yeah, I did. Um, also some classical music, but I was in this thing called um, Spellemanslag. Uh, in the region, it's like this fiddle uh, group of fiddlers, really. Mm. As a kid, which was really fun, I remember. And but there's also this other thing that's quite special with uh, Rendarn. It's um, it's a small place. It's uh, less than two thousand inhabitants, scattered around a huge area. But um, we have our own uh, symphony orchestra, which is the second oldest orchestra in Norway. It's been around for one hundred and forty years now, I think, going continuously. Which is mm. quite impressive. So in a small town, in a real, in this small place, less than two thousand inhabitants. So, <laughs> it, it was actually funded um, 
<coughs> around 1880, I think, by my um, great-great-grandfathers in Nuremberg. So. And when did you discover jazz? <coughs> I would say both through my bass teacher in Rendan when I started playing in this orchestra. Um, he also showed me some jazz uh, tunes. That was the start of it. But then back then I also played bass guitar in rock bands and covering uh, Rage Against the Machine and Nirvana and all that stuff. So I've been also been through that, of course. Um, but then in high school, <coughs> um, I guess that's where the interest sort of picked up, uh, meeting my bass teacher there. Um, a guy called Osman Snortheim, <coughs> who was um, for many years a uh, bass player in the Oslo jazz scene. So from there I went on to, um, to the university studying jazz. Mm. And living in New York, I've seen some, some of the greatest jazz bass players possible, Charlie Bingus and oh, yeah. Oscar Pettiford, etc. Mm. Wow. But none of them made some of the, got some of the sounds out of the bass that, that you get. Is mm. it uh, something that you've worked on to develop? Yes, for sure. Yeah, it is. Hey, let's try to see what happens if I do this. Yeah, I've, there's been a lot of that, just like you said, that um, I'm a huge fan of the guys you mentioned and other great jazz players that I've listened to um, a lot through the years. So they have had a really important influence on my musicality, but um, at the same time, I also always had this let's see what happens attitude and uh, spent lots of hours delving into that. Yeah. <laughs> let's see if I try this. Yeah, exactly. A sort of childish uh, approach. No, no, sounds like okay. That. Yeah. It's worked out. Yeah. Uh, were you helped by the fact that the Norwegian government has been very supportive of the arts uh, financially? Yes, big time. <coughs> Sorry. Not, mm. not the case here. <coughs> no, that's really different. I know we, we're so fortunate in Norway to have that good support for arts. Um, it makes uh, makes it possible to, yeah, I guess to spend a lot of time if you're lucky and get a grant to um, yeah, immerse yourself in this special direction or whatever. It's uh, makes the music scene really, really diverse that you have these opportunities to spend time with the music. All but the superstars uh, in jazz in this country probably teach. Mm. That's the way they support themselves. And then, of course, they enjoy playing uh, in nightclubs and such. Yeah. It's different in Norway? <coughs> mm. I would say a lot of people in Norway also teach Absolutely, I've been doing for myself as well for many years at the at the Norwegian Academy of Music in Oslo. Uh, actually, for the past twelve years, I've been there as a bass teacher. Um, not now anymore. I just decided to try to go all in with the music I make for a while to see where it where it leads. Well, you have um, two different approaches. You have the solo. Mm approach but you also have a trio you've mentioned yeah. and forgive me if i try to pronounce their names <laughs> um Vespestad. yeah really good <laughs> and Hakan Ase. Håkon Åse yeah Håkon Åse yeah so uh Jarla is on uh the drums and Håkon is on the violin yeah and you play the double bass yes what kind of music are you playing 
Well, as mentioned earlier, we play <coughs> we play my compositions. Um, quite a few of them are inspired by the, um, the Middle Eastern traditions that I caught up on while spending time there. Um, <coughs> it's um, so more like e Indian and Middle Eastern classical yes. modes. Yeah, absolutely for the, for the group. Yeah, uh, Hawkun, the violin player, he spent quite some time in India studying Indian music, so he has influences from the India in his uh, in his playing. Um, and Jarl, of course, he's been in he's been playing drums in many different bands for many years. Uh, he's the oldest guy was, but one of his groups is called Farmers Market which are played lots of uh, Balkan influence music. Mm -hmm. So he has a really st strong voice in that uh, tradition. So you can say my trio is like this sort of a uh, musical melting pot where we take influences a bit from here and there and try to yeah, um, create our own music with it. So well, I guess being in Norway, uh, you uh, with not the kind of there are some great composers from Norway or yeah. from Scandinavia, mm. but not like other countries. Mm. Uh, so you could be open to the sounds of all the other musical traditions. Mm. Yeah, you don't. Have, it's not like Sibelius is. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, is it? <laughs> no, I see what you mean. It's uh, well, we do have Edvard Grieg though. The Grieg was pretty good. Yes, he was, he was pretty good. Uh, yeah. Both him and Sibelius had this strong connection also to their <coughs> country's folk music used in their compositions. So, yeah, that's been around for a while, that approach, <laughs> which I really like. Can I ask you to play something else? Yeah, okay. sure. Uh, by the way, it's mm. been such a pleasure just to sit here. Uh, I feel like I have been uh, given a, an incredible gift being able to be the only person in the room, other than our audio engineer, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, to be given this wonderful concert. Thanks. I appreciate hearing that. It's been my pleasure being here, really. So we're going to hear something else from... What are you going to play for us? Um, <coughs> this will be a piece called... Um, <coughs> called uh, Shygge, which means uh, shadow. Hmm. Also from... I guess you could say it's the, um, one of the pieces from my album that's... Um, Mostly composed, yeah. The, the this is not as improvised as some of them. No, it, it, it isn't. It's uh, yeah. So how do you decide what where to go with something? You just mm. an idea occurs to you, you write it down, or yeah. Sometimes, not so often. I'm most of the time I will practice it until it's sort of internalized in what I do. But uh, this, I think, is one of the very few solo things where I actually wrote down at least uh, the opening bars and. Yeah, the shape of it is always improvised, but the idea is really, really oh, clear. Well, in jazz, you start off with the uh, the, the, the head, the, and then you improvise. Yeah, exactly. Something so similar here? Yeah, definitely. This is uh, sort of a jazz approach in that way. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, uh, another uh, uh, performance by live in our studios here at WBAI, New York, 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. Uh my guest is uh, Sigurd, S-I-G-U-R-D, Herle, H-O-L-E. And uh, forgive me if I don't repeat the name of this composition. <laughs>
wild applause now for Sigurd uh, Herder, who just uh, performed another one of his pieces here. Uh, just, I mentioned at the beginning <laughs> that uh, I think I opened with something like, if you think you know all the sounds a double bass can make, you haven't heard Sigurd Herder's music. Uh, some of those sounds and the, 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 the deep growling, reverberating uh, sounds that you get at the bottom, I don't know if I've heard them from other bass players. Is mm. it, you have a special bass? Did you have the bass built to be able to do certain things? <coughs> yes, in a way I could say that. It, um, <coughs> um, for many years I've had old basses, but this instrument is quite new. It uh, was built in France by a maker called uh, Christian Laborie. Most people mm. like the old instruments better, but yeah, for sure, this is a pretty uh, impressive instrument. <coughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I'm really happy about it. It's it's made from, uh, like, modeled after an old French uh, bass called uh, the Canoa. So it's it's not new in that sense, but, um, yeah. <coughs> I mean tried. The, the wood is old. Hmm? The wood is old because uh, that... Yeah, the wood that, uh, it, it takes many years to settle down. how it vibrates. Yeah, that's true. But, um, yeah, I played a similar instrument while visiting an amazing bass player called uh, François Rabat mm. in, in Paris. This uh, amazing virtuoso and amazing person. I took some lessons with him not so long ago, actually. Um, so that inspired me to get the similar instrument because it. Um, I'd actually been having some back problems as well um, from from playing my old bass. <laughs> so this instrument is like it's also with the setup with the um, with the end pin. It's angled, not straight. It's this instrument comes into your body in another another way, makes it easier to sort of reach around it to make, um, yeah, to come to all the different nodes, all the different registers without looking like an old tree, <laughs> like I used to do on my old bass, which was too big. <laughs> yeah. well, mo most uh, musicians can sit while they play, yeah. but to play the double bass, <coughs> you have to stand, um, or usually. Well, usually, uh, well, um, it depends. It's quite some double bassists also sit, uh, often in orchestras, and they also see jazz players sitting, so. Um, to me, I enjoy, I always like standing better, I feel. For me, that feels more in contact with the instrument in a way, um, and more grounded in the in the floor. <laughs> I like that. So, are you working on another project? Have you found yeah. another remote place to do some recording? <laughs> well, I'm always thinking about so something. So is Antarctica. <laughs> Maybe that's next, go even further north. <laughs> well, uh, no, no, it's the south, it's that's the ultimate south, but... Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. The Arctic Circle. <laughs> the Arctic, yeah, 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 sure, Antarctica, sorry, yeah. That would be south, of course. Um, no, I'm still thinking about it. Um, I would like to go someplace to record next time as well. Uh, maybe try another kind of environment. We'll see. Meanwhile, this, uh, the, the, C the two CDs are available on, uh, through what, North CD, is it called? Um, no, let me see. Uh, they are available through um, a label called Elvesang, mm -hmm. which is actually my own label. Um, Elvesang is the name of your first solo album, too. Yeah, so the label is called the same, actually. I s founded a label for that release. So, um, yeah, they will be there. And they're, they're, of course, also on all the digital things for those interested, Spotify and everywhere. And if things now proceed as planned, this new album will be available on the digital platforms in the U.S. exclusively from 
Monday, which is the day of my concert. So, ah. mm. so we don't have much time left, but sure. uh, what are your plans for the concert? Are you going to be playing <coughs> pieces like what we just heard? Yeah, I will be playing pieces like we just heard from my concerts. I normally try to shape this uh, continuous uh, musical uh, journey, so to really get this sort of uh, meditative feel. So it will be, yeah, looking at the long shapes in music, but with the uh, different pieces happening as I go along. And the concert is next Monday, the 3rd of February at 8 p.m. at the uh, at Carnegie Hall, at the Wild Recital Hall at Carnegie Hall. Uh, the CD is called Lies Merke, and it's been a real pleasure having Sigurd Hörner mm-hmm. on our show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to Todd McGovern, who produced this segment. Uh, if you're new to this program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter. Also, our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. And you can leave comments on all of those various places. We hope you'll join us tomorrow when Ray Isle of Food and Wine will discuss his article, Why 2020 is Looking Dangerous for Wine Lovers. We'll see you then. And we hope that you'll do your part to keep WBAI financially secure. One way to do that is by becoming a BAI buddy, uh, by going to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. And if you become a buddy for $10 or or more a month, uh, $15, $20, whatever you can afford, uh, the sustaining membership allows us to plan for the future and keeps us going. Uh, We don't suddenly hit a month where uh, there's no money. Uh, We really appreciate all the people who become BAI buddies, and uh, we've had a very good show of support in recent times, but we need a lot more. And uh, we hope that you will consider doing it. Remember, you can always cancel at any time. 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI.org and follow the instructions. We'll see you tomorrow.